What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Resocial Hour. I am Anthony Ramirez. I am one of your hosts for this amazing and wonderful podcast that you're hearing today. Alongside me, I have Emily and Joey, and um, they're my, our usual Resocial crew. Emily is back from her trip, and we're glad to have her back after um, last week's episode. And so we're happy that she's back. So what's up, Emily? Thank you. Thank you. So glad to be back. Cool. Joey, what's up? Hey, how's it going? And we have a super special guest with us. Um, it's a very awesome friend of ours from the um, graduate department here in communication at Texas A&M, our friend Valentina Adwin. How are you doing? Hi, Anthony. Hi, Joey. Hi, Emily. Thank you for Im- inviting me. I am doing great. Um, who am I kidding? I am very overwhelmed with all the work that I have right now, but, but overall, I'm, do, I'm doing well and um, just pushing through this very busy time of the semester. You're in the right place then. This is where we have these conversations, so you're good. <laughs> um, I, I would say like a, a good chunk of our conversations are, are, are about how we're overwhelmed and how um, we deal with stress in graduate school and whatnot um so yeah that's the way it goes but um ironically i think that's a nice little transition to our topic today um so you know every week we focus on different topics on about you know our life our experiences or lived realities within graduate school and so i thought it'd be really interesting to talk uh, talk about and i guess quote unquote tackle the the um relationships within higher education within graduate school, within college in general too. Um, because I think relationships really do change our trajectory in some format or another. And I'm not just talking about romantic relationships, even though that we can talk about those relationships as well. I'm talking about like family relationships, um, mentorship roles that we might have with our students or with our advisors. Cause I think those are super important as well. And so um yeah let's talk about relationships like if you want I can even go first and be happy to discuss this even though you all know a lot about my relationship status and stuff um because I'm very close with all three of you um um okay I, I'll, I'll just go really quick I'll, I'll state really quick what I have to say um so for I'm not going to mention my my ex's name I'm not going to mention that that's one thing I will not mention um, out of respect to her because I do, I, I do have a lot of respect for her. And so, um, through, throughout my years here, uh, at Texas A&M, I, I was in a relationship with, with, um, you know, my, my former partner and we were in a long distance relationship and it was, uh, it was, it was tough because of long distance, of course, too. But I also think that there were a lot of issues too, because of, you know, me being in graduate school and everything too, that kind of led to the downfall of my relationship with, with her and everything. And, and that was one of the reasons I had to break up too with her is because, you know, I couldn't give her the time and energy that she wanted and needed for this relationship. And so it's, un- it was unfortunate because I, I did really love and care for this person. And I still have a lot of love and care for this person too. And, um, you know, it was a bummer that you know that it had to end because again I couldn't give her that time and energy that she wanted because I had to focus on at that time my dissertation proposal 
and now my dissertation and, and you know, my life and everything like that with the school. But so that, that happened. So there's that form of that relationship. But on a, on, a, on a much happier note and a much different note, I'm very grateful for the other relationships I do have here. Because even though I'm like 10 and a half hours away from my family, the people here in this podcast and others um, that are very close friends of, of mine um, and, and Valentinas and Emily's and Joey's are what I would call my um, my uh, Brian College Station A&M family, you know, because um, without you all, I wouldn't ha- I wouldn't make it here because you all are really a strong support system for me. And the relationships I have with each and every one of you is incredibly special to me. And and um and so like Emily and Valentina are like sisters to me and, and Joey's like a big brother mentor to me that I really look up to a lot. And then there's the other mentor in my life. Well, I have so many mentors too, but um, my advisor, Shrevi, who's like my academic mom, <laughs> that's the way I call it. Um, and she's just done so much for me too, that I'm just really, really lucky to have her in my life too. So these are the relationships for me in higher education that have made an impact on my work and and my my role as an individual here too and really have made an impact on who I am today too in, in the type of work that I do and and who I am as a person as well and also my relationship with my family because they ground me you know they ground me they keep me grounded is what I'm trying to say and they, they have a huge impact on my life and during spring break Valentina even had a chance to meet my family and and got to see my my puppy girl Oreo my puppy dog and um so that was really cool that Valentina got to hang out with us and and Joey's met my family too and I think Emily has too you met my mom too right I think so I think they were at dinner with us at some point yeah I don't know why yeah but- <laughs> I think we had pizza I think I think we were at RX yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I think like everybody here has met my family in some capacity or another too. And you, you all know how incredibly close I am with my family too. So um, they, you know, they're all those people that are mentioned mine is my ex um, would probably <laughs> are, are like huge support systems to me. And I know when, when I was in my relationship with her, that she was a huge um, support system for me too. And, you know, I don't know what she's doing now. We don't talk anymore or anything like that, but I do hope that she's doing well and, whatever her goal and dream in life is. I hope that she's doing that because I do wish the best for her. Um, and, um, but that, that's me. That's, that's my end about relationships and stuff. And that's how I could go into more detail, but I want to hear about others because this isn't about me. I mean, Anthony, I think you tap into two really important um, types of relationships that we have in, in grad school, which is one, um, a romantic relationship and then all the other relationships that are part of your support system besides um, that romantic partner, which sometimes um, is very uh, helpful. I don't think that necessarily you need to have a romantic partner or a romantic relationship in grad school, but, and this is my perspective, even if, you are from the U.S., for example, I'm Colombian, I'm an international student, I, my family lives in an entirely different country, and as much as I have great friends and mentors and a, a really good support system, um, the sense of loneliness for not having relationships 
of the closeness of family that probably a romantic partner is what could get the closest to that um, kind of sucks. So, <laughs> so I think having a romantic partner for me um, makes me feel less lonely because as much as I want my friends and my mentor and, and, and the people in my support system um, to do that, it's, it's oftentimes not enough. And they don't, they are not in, in, intim, in your most intimate, intimate moments and spaces. And that's just the reality of it. And I think that your situation is very particular, but it's also a situation that happens to a lot of people um, because our, our demands, the demands of an academic program, of a PhD program are very high and our commitments sometimes require the majority of our time, if not all of it. And, and it is hard for us to establish those boundaries. But I don't necessarily think um, that, that it can be done. And I obviously don't think that you need to have a romantic partner who is in the same position and is also a PhD student to understand it. Because even in my case, my partner right now is, is also a PhD student. But um, I still find myself having to justify not being able to hang out for two weeks because I want to have tunnel vision for my comprehensive exams, for example. Um, and because it's not just about, and, and this is very important because this is very relatable to other types of situations beyond academia. It's not just about being in grad school. It's about your personality. It's about time management. It's about the type of brain that you have. I am an adult woman with ADHD. Uh, with a very divergent brain and I don't have the capacity to balance work and life at times it's either all in uh, with my life or either all in with my work it's it's very hard for me to set boundaries and manage my time in order to find that to do both. And, and that is relatable to other people in other fields or whatever they do in their lives. And it's not, and, and it's something that people in academia and people who are in our same position who, who don't have diverge, divergent brains, who function in, in, in other ways, it's hard for them to understand that. It's hard for them to understand, oh, well, why can't you um, make time? Why don't you manage your time better? Like, it's not that I can't manage my time better. It's just that I don't know how to, or that's just not how I operate. And that's okay. And, and the, the problem realizing not being able to communicate that properly. So in many ways, it's, it's more the success of relationships in academia is more about understanding yourself and how you function and how you operate and what you need and knowing on um, knowing how much you can give, but then also knowing how much your partner, your partner needs, because you also need to meet their needs. And if, if you can't do that, you need to be clear about that or actually consciously engage in how to try to meet those needs because it's all about compromise, right? Um, so it's, it's, it's a lot to navigate. It's a lot to think about. And, and just this one small thing I unpacked so much and I can keep unpacking it. Um, and then um, 
you know, then, then there's your support system. And that's a whole other story. Um, but um, I'm going to leave, I'm going to close with that for now. I think we can do a whole separate episode on support systems too. Like, I think that'd be a great topic to cover like down the line. So we'll write that down, but thanks for sharing all that. That was awesome. Thank you. Uh, Emily, you want to go? Yeah. Thank you guys both. There's so much, I've been like writing notes about like where I could take this and that there's lots of different places, but um, I know Anthony, you talked a lot about like the diversity of different people within your support system, you know, friends, family, people in academia, out of academia, um, people you can just call versus people you can go and actually see in person. Um, and I'm sure it's the same for you, V, because your family's not here. And I, I, yeah, I don't know what that feels like across like national borders, but I know what it feels like within national, you know. Um, and what that got me thinking about was, I guess, one of the problems that I've had with relationships in academia is like, since I have so, so much limited time, I find it hard to maintain like a bunch of different relationships at the same time. And so sometimes I'll just get really selective. Like I'll just like one or two people will be like the only person that knows what's going on with me. And that works for a little bit, but then it ends up not working very well because then it's like you put all of your demands or like all your needs and the responsibility for meeting those needs onto a single person. And that almost never works because people are different. And so I've been finding that that's what's been helpful for me, at least in the last year or so, when I had this transition that I was unexpected, was relying on social support systems that I kind of had forgotten. Like I had a, like, I wasn't really staying very close contact with my parents or like my siblings, you know, we talk every once in a while, um, but there'd be months at a time where I wouldn't know or like talk to my brothers, um, which is kind of strange now because we talk, you know, every few days, most of the time. Um, and, but I've been finding that that to be helpful because while I do appreciate relationships I have within academia, I sometimes feel like if those are my only relationships that I like lose touch with what it's like to be out of this world, you know, like, like when I talk about what I'm doing, um, and like the deadlines and the stress that I have, oftentimes it's people outside of academia that put into perspective that that's not my entire life. Like, because I think about it like that's my entire life. Like if, if I were to not meet, meet a deadline, like my, my world would crumble. <laughs> but really it wouldn't. Like I'd be fine. It would be okay. You know, at worst, what would crumble is like my program. But even then it's not, not likely to do that. Um, and so that's been so helpful for me. Because um, I feel like with the time requirements of a PhD program, we often don't have enough time to like stop and think of ourselves in the world from a zoomed out perspective. I feel like I'm just always zoomed into the details of all the stuff I'm studying and the writing that I'm doing, the deadlines that I have. Um, so that's been really helpful for me. I don't know if you guys have ways that you do that, but that's been like what keeps me able to have the energy to keep doing grad school is having time away, whether that be like physically or just mentally or, you know, calling my mom or my, my brothers for a couple hours. Joey, what are your thoughts? Uh, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm weird. <laughs> I, I, you know, the more, if the more I go and hang out, like in the big A, the big academic scene, I'm reminded of how weird I am. And I've done that a couple of times this semester. And the things that people normally care about and hold dear in academia, I could care less about. And so it's a very different kind of support system that I develop. 
and a very different kind of set of anxieties and issues that occur to me. Um, so like relationships to me have always been kind of weird because um, like in an academic sense, uh, I was never seen as smart until I was like 22 or uh, not 22, until I was 20. And so I never valued and are, are looked up to people uh, giving me approval for my work because I wasn't kidding. <laughs> I wasn't in any honors courses. I didn't experience that. You know, you're doing great things. And if you continue doing great things, you will be somebody. <laughs> I wasn't told that for like, you know, the first 20 years of my life. They were just like, hey, if you continue where you're going, you may not like fuck your whole life up, you know. And I'm like, oh, man, OK, you know, and so that a lot of the anxieties that I see undergrads and graduates have are these anxieties that I just don't identify with. I also tend to see myself um, kind of on a spectrum. And then I also have uh, ADD, uh, if, if not ADHD. Um, and that played a role in my academic life. So one thing was that the only things that kept my attention were things that kept my attention. And uh, because I wasn't looking for that approval, I didn't care about my grades. And so if someone was like, hey, Joey, if you don't study for this thing, you'll get a bad grade. And I'm like, will I fail? And they're like, well, you're not going to fail. But I'm like, okay, cool. Like, let's, <laughs> that goes on the back burner. I'll get a C. And they're like, wait, what? Like, you can't get a C. That's like horrible. I'm like, I don't care. Oh, you're going to get a D. Do I have to, it's like, if I get a D, do I have to take the class again? No. Okay. Well then I'll get a D and I'll go put my time. Like, and I didn't know this at the time. I didn't know how to ADD at the time, but at the time that was what would quell my anxiety was that I could just be like, okay, well, I'll just put that all to the side and I'll go do what I want to do. And the, the thing that was weird was that the things I wanted to do for fun ended up being things that like I integrated into academia. You know, I was really into tech and building computers. And guess what I do? I do a lot of tech and computer work. Um, I was really into hi-fi and audio. I own a hi-fi store now. I got really into like, I always wanted to do cars. And so uh, uh, I always wanted to work on cars. My parents were always like, no, like cars are to get to A to B and we get them worked on because we have to get to where we need to go. And I ended up delving into that. And you're like, well, Jerry, what does that have to do with relationships? It's like, well, all of those spaces I went into, I developed mentor relationships and reciprocal mentor relationships where I would share my experiences in other spaces. And when I would face issues in any of those spaces, I'd end up having other unique places for me to share what's going on. And some of them be like, yeah, that doesn't, I mean, I'll never forget my friend who, uh, uh, his name is Zohair Jaffrey, um, was working at, at, at this company called Boost Logic, ended up buying it. And he was like, so you're going to get your PhD? And I'm like, yeah, man. I was like, I want to be a professor. He's like, huh, how much does that pay? I'm like, well, you know, I mean, like $60,000, $70,000. He's like, so you went to school for 10 years to, to get paid, like, $70,000 a year. He's like, I'm like, yeah. And he has a, you know, he has a, a business degree from UT and, and he was like, interesting. All right. You know, he didn't say anything rude, but he was just kind of like, whew, all right. Like, you know, and, and, and at the time, like he made maybe about that much or something. And, you know, he's since become, you know, very, very well off. 
And, um, and it was kind of one of those things where like, I ended up just seeing all these different trajectories and what that did for me in academia though, relationship wise is that I've never taken anybody too seriously in academia because I know millionaires. I know people that have made money on their own. I know people that have published and written books on their own that have gone on and made it without the big A, without the institutional need. And that this is just one of many spaces, but that people take this space so seriously and for good reason at times. At times you need to have a reverence to, to academia. I don't deny that. I mean, I, I think there's importance to it, but I think um, it can be a toxic relationship for a lot of people because um, it is systematic control. And so the relationships that y'all are talking about and that I mentioned too, these support systems are what helps us get through it. I mean, I, I have had so many great mentors that I can't name them all, but um, one of them was like just someone that I never, I don't even know if I, he knows I got a master's and a PhD. It was an undergrad and it was uh, this guy named um, Dr. Galvan. He was an associate, uh, uh, I think Dean or provost I don't know. I didn't even know what any of that was when I was that age. I was like, oh, whatever. You're someone that's talking to me. Okay. And, uh, and, and his job was to hire, I mean, uh, recruit talented students to come to UT. And um, so he recruited my brother, not me, but he recruited my brother. And so I happened to got to meet him. <laughs> and, uh, and so I would go and talk to him from time to time. And one of the things, actually, I think he did know I was getting my master's because the story does line up there is that I told him I was going to go get my master's and, um, and, and or that I was getting it. And he told me, he goes, you know, Joey, one of the hardest things I ever did was go get my PhD while having a kid, you know, like when having a kid uh, um, and doing my PhD, it was like restless nights, you know, just night after night after night. And today we don't have someone that's repping that space. We have friends that are in that space here. You know, we, we all have mutual friends. But that's like another aspect that I think about is like, you know, we have our relationships and then like there are people, too, that are undertaking, you know, huge family relationships, huge family dynamics of having children, having grandchildren going back and this multi-generational thing of, of, of going to school, being a non-traditional graduate student, you know, all of these other experiences. And that's where, like, to me, um, talking about relationships in the way that we're doing it today, I think it's so important because like it's nuanced. And uh, I think one of the hardest things uh, for me in academia is just the fact that it's so muted in terms of subjectivity often and, uh, and human humanness. Uh, a lot of times we, we, we make, we, we as a system, make people believe, whether they're graduate students, faculty, even our staff, that these rules are just there and over you and you mess up and it's over, you know, like you, you, there's nothing that can go on. And, and that was like one of the, you know, really hard things relationally that uh, I just, I kept seeing, and I still see to this day, my, my friends, my colleagues, my graduate students, uh, undergraduate students go through of just heavy, heavy, heavy self-expectation because 
The hardest part about that relationship with uh, a system is that it's internalized, in my opinion, is that it's actually with you. Like, like you've created the system to hold you and you don't know that, know that. until it's changed, you know, until you kind of have that that space again. And so for me, relationships is a very, very deep thing. We can talk about it for a long time. But but for me, um, watching other people go through it, it's, it's really tough. Like one of the other things that's like uh, I can be a huge pet, not pest. I don't know what you call me, but I, I can I can be a little stingy. And one of the most stingy things I tell people is like never forget that, like, as much as we think highly of ourselves and what would happen if this or that I go we'll be replaced it's just it's just the way it is like what your work that you're doing the impact you're making we're all going to be replaced and I don't say that to disable people but to enable people to say hey look if all you're doing is something that you think is going to make other people happy there they will find happiness somewhere else if it's if it's truly hurting you to do that Go do what makes you happy. And because like it's it someone else will replace that need for them. And that's okay. Maybe that's healthier for you. You know, Joey, um, I also find that enabling not just in the sense of 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 setting your boundaries and being aware of them and moving away from uh, the places that are pushing them in bad ways, but I see that also enabling of understanding our work and the role that we play in academia more towards what we can do to change parts of the system, even if it's in small ways, so that when we are replaced, we have we have left or ingrained something. Or I love how um, Catherine Walsh calls it, we've made a crack in the system. Because oftentimes, you know, we can't escape the system. It's those are the t- that's the tension that we operate in. But we can create a crack in the system that when we leave and we are replaced, they have no other uh, remedy than to operate with that crack, and it's there. And 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 that I I think is 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 a goal to set in mind and to think of it. Um, but I can definitely relate to to Joey, relate to your story, and and to probably a very important relationship that we have that Joey brought to our attention, which is our relationship with academia. Um, I wrote a lot about this. I never published it. It 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 became a paper for myself. It became a place where I where I healed talking about the violence of academia and, and, and what I went through. Um, and it's important to go through that process, or at least for me. I've had students, and, and, and Joey mentions it, I've had students that come, students who are non-traditional, students who come, first-generation students who come and, and come in tears because they don't feel represented, because they don't know what to do, because something doesn't, they don't even, it's not even at that point about representation, but about feeling inadequate and not knowing why. Just this feeling of of not fitting in, in so many ways. And what, what I've experienced in that, in that feeling of inadequateness, oh God, I could, the, the, there's so many levels to it. It's uh, it's one um, in my own personal experience, and to use that as an example, um, 
I went through a period of time in my academic career where in my academic path here in my PhD, um, where I didn't, I couldn't write. I probably couldn't write for like two years. I was just recycling things and I didn't write. I, I accumulated incompletes for two years and I, cause I couldn't force myself to do it. I, it felt so hurtful to write and do these things under these standards that didn't, didn't represent me. Standards, hundred year old standards of some white man that said, this is academic excellence. And that academic excellence, that reference, it didn't represent the way I thought. It didn't represent my, my way of learning and it didn't represent my knowledge but I considered knowledge and, and it was very hurtful. I, I not only did not write for two years, but the expectation of it created so much anxiety that I was depressed, I was anxious and it created a spiral of, and a cycle where I would have good days and then bad days and then to the point where I hit rock bottom and was in a very bad mental health um, state. But all this um, at one point forced me to figure it out because I was I, I didn't come back to academia. I kind of removed myself from the community and I didn't come back to be violated again. <laughs> like that was not going to happen. I even got a, a, a D or a C whatever in a class that in a class that I can't use in my degree plan because I failed it. And I failed that class because from the minute it started, it was completely outside of my interest, outside of what I wanted to produce as a person that I just didn't do the class. And, and that was it. And, and, and I can relate on that too. But all this to say that, and, and that it forced me to figure it out. It forced me to forge relationships like Joey says, to forge relationships with people um, that understood me, but also to forge relationships with people that had gone through what I was going and that had figured it out and that knew why this was happening and, and that helped me understand why I was feeling the way I was feeling and to, that helped me understand that academia is violent, that it's knowledge, it's, it's localizable knowledge in a place and time that does not encompass who we are today. And it's a white supremacist knowledge, it's a white supremacist system, and that's the reality of it. And I one day met Domino Perez um, from UT Austin, and it was through a it was through the Latinx, one of the Latinx symposiums um, through a very important support system for me, which is the Latinx Studies Working Group. And I met her and she was talking about the violence of academia and, and, and about how Latina women think in spirals and in divergent ways and how the way that they write throughout history has been always in circular logic, which by the way, I had a professor here tell me that I had a logical fallacy when I wrote and that my logical fallacy was that I would write in circle, lo circle logic. And see how, and how 
that affected me and how that invalidated not just what I was producing in that moment, but my entire identity as a Latina woman, because it turns out that historically, this is part of my heritage and who I am and, and, and how I think and where I'm situated. And, and hearing her that just validated me in so many ways that I think I can only encourage people to try to find those circles and those support systems where they can be validated in those ways. And I was very lucky to, to be part of that conversation. And then her talking about the importance of slowness and how slowness is a privilege that only certain people have. And then we who have to produce these things fast, but slowness is part of being able to enjoy because enjoyment is, is, is the gusto of enjoying what you are doing. And rushing a paper in one week is not enjoyment. So learning these things kind of helped me heal. I wrote this, I started to write this huge critique on academia. I wrote the whole thing. It started to become a healing paper. And I just, I talked about oppression and, and, you know, Joy mentions, you know, how we uphold the system. And of course we uphold the system. You know, Freddy says it, and, and that's what Freddy says in Pedagogy of the Oppressed and Fanon says it on decolonialism. We uphold the system of our oppressors because if, if we deny it, then to a certain degree, we, we kind of kill part of our identity. So knowing that helps us overcome that 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 we're upholding, helps us when we are teaching or when we are mentoring, not to use the same standards and not and, and really understand what our students need and who they are and how they think. So I mean, I I feel I can talk. I, I've already <laughs> extended this too long, but there are so many components to this, and it's it's such a toxic relationship that needs to be revalued, reassessed. And I think the only, the one thing that to take out of this, I, this whole narrative that I just gave would be encouraging the people who are listening to the podcast who feel inadequate in academia to find these spaces and the people that can validate who they are as they are. I was thinking about what you just mentioned, Valentina, and the image of like a tree came into my head and I'm thinking how, again, it's kind of like academic is like academia is like a tree that's rooted. Right. And, um, you know, yeah, there's systemic oppression and, you know, racism and all this other stuff involved, but at the same time, um, and, you know, I'm thinking of, of the symbolism, symbolism of this tree being our relationship with academia. And then, as it grows and, and grows and grows and it branches out, these branches and leaves become our other aspects of life and our other relationships in life that we've kind of correlated to throughout this whole conversation as well. And I'm just using this giant metaphor of a tree. I don't know why, but it's just a visual that came into my head. Oh, like while you were discussing all this, right. And um, I don't know, I'm just thinking about that, how this one relationship that we have with academia really affects every other relationship that we have, you know, um, whether it's our personal relationship with ourselves and academia, our relationships that we have with our families and friends or, and mentors and students and other people down the line, too. Um, and just everyone in our life, for that matter. It just um, it really, you know, <laughs> it's like like prior to this whole conversation, I didn't even think about that. The, the, the relationship that we have with academia is the, is the one that really affects every other 
um, relationship in our lives. And that's deep. And, and I guess that's that rooted aspect that I'm thinking about, again, going with my tree metaphor. It's like, it's really deep, you know? And, and your um, dream metaphor is not far, it's not far fetched. I mean, that's that's what Anzaldúa calls the rhizomatic mm-hmm. connection. Mm-hmm. Very on point, and that's exactly what she talks about when she talks about the roots and, mm-hmm. and the leaves and the trees and, and biopower. Yeah, it's, it's all connected. Yeah, Emily, any thoughts on all of this? Oh yeah, yeah. See, that was awesome. That wasn't like a tangent. That was like the essence of what we needed to talk about. Um, Cause I, I've been thinking about that a lot where that it's like my relationship with academia is what I find myself thinking about the most really. And like trying to figure out, like when I entered a doctoral program, I knew I was going to be learning a lot of content, but I did not realize how much I was going to be forced to learn about myself in this, like in this process. And I think so much of it is that the more I'm doing work that's focused on how like media is used for oppression and used to resist oppression, the more I'm recognizing that the structures that I'm within are oppressive structures. And by me being a part of it, I am oftentimes perpetuating it, whether, you know, like often unknowingly, but like having to kind of come to terms with that, it's like, I am what I'm critiquing. What does that even mean? Like, how do you live with that? How do you negotiate your identity in that way? You know, at some points it seems like you, at least for me, like, I'm like, do I leave then? But then it's like, well, what system do I find that doesn't have these characteristics? Like anywhere I go, it's going to be there. So it's really about finding out how I'm going to relate to that environment and how I can navigate it and be able to kind of resist or stand up for myself rather than just continuing to just do the right thing or do, you know, what academia wants you to do to listen to myself more. I mean, that's something that my mentor is really, you know, if you're feeling emotions, if you're feeling unsure, if you're feeling tension, listen to the feeling. Like that is an important feeling. Like whatever you're seeking, it's in that feeling. You know, you have to examine it. Um, and so I'm really, really trying to lead with that more now. It's like, if I'm not feeling comfortable with something I'm writing, what is it about what I'm writing that I'm not comfortable with? And what does that mean? And how does that relate to systems? Um, so yeah, I think you're, you're totally right that it is really our relationship with academia that is central in our PhD experience. And it's really difficult to navigate because it is set up to be oppressive and we're, we're here for, you know, X amount of years and then hopefully get a job later. And so we're going to be embedded within that system and we need to really negotiate who we are. Um, Just a difficult thing to do. Like no one taught me how to do this. I'm just figuring it out like everyone else. And if I can jump in for a second, um, you know, we talk about our relationship with academia and it's, it's funny to me because I'm, like I said, I'm messed up. But if we measure me like as an academic, I mean, I suck, right? Like from the big A standpoint, I've never published an article. I haven't written a book. I don't have a file, uh, you know, a, a literal physical file of all my published articles are a PDF USB drive, you know, like a USB drive with all these PDFs and Google Scholar and all this stuff that people talk about. And we talk about, um, you know, because I'm hearing I'll just be like really rupturistic about, and I made that word up, by the way, I don't know if it's true, uh, like rupturistic about about academia being this like supremacist system and stuff. And I'm like, well, and then I'm like, well, you know, like, you know, I'm like, well, I don't know if we have to be that extreme. And I'm like, well, I am kind of rejected by all of academia. I'm not allowed to teach graduate courses here because I'm not seen as academic. Um, you know, it's, 
I definitely, I definitely like have some bars that my body has literally, like if we were talking about roots, you know, your tree metaphor, just grew around the bar. Don't even notice the bar anymore. <laughs> just like literally just is in the concrete and breaking it. Like you're talking about putting the cracks in it. <laughs> yeah. And the, the system, my roots are just like messing shit up. But like, um, but in terms of, of my relationship is scarred, it's, it's messed up. And at the same time, I just don't care. I'm just going to go do me. I'm going to be me. I'm going to make these things. You know, I was talking to someone today and about some of the work I've done. And, you know, I shared some work last week and people were really uh, kind of impressed with it. And, um, you know, they're like a lot of people I'm noticing anecdotally are like, this is new work. Like, this is really interesting. Like, maybe we can start making works like this and start having it accepted. And I'm like, yeah, the only issue is that I've been doing this for 12 years, <laughs> if not longer. And the stuff I showed you is from 12 years ago, you know? And like, that's, how, that's it's a reinforce what y'all are saying about this system, you know? And so I had to take it, I had to take that system and I had to create my own and document everything myself. Like y'all notice, I have a website. You notice I encourage all of y'all to have your websites. And this is a, these are relationship tips for, for people that have a relationship with academia. It's like, let your university document you a little bit. Document your work a ton, okay? Like, don't, don't rely on, on, on the system being your, your provider in this relationship. Rely on them as, as at best, being a, a, an equitable handshake, at best. You know, where they're they're gonna try and help you uh, earnestly, and, uh, and 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 mistakes will be made, and you have to like figure them out as you go, and and so that's all I really wanted to say was just I wanted to tell y'all no, you're wrong. Like the system's not that bad, and I thought about my level as an associate professor of the practice instead of a a, a tenure track professor, and and how I've had a really hard time finding a place within our one place it's it's interesting because i have a you know i have a phd in the top five program in the nation like you know I have, I have one of the best phds you can get from some of the best mentors you can have and yet i can still be seen as less than um and and at the same time to go back to relationships real quick and then i'll shut up is that the mentors and reciprocal mentors and colleagues that have supported me that are in some of those R1 roles that like, you know, especially my dissertation chair and dissertation committee. I mean, these were all R1 really great resources, you know, people that are published and had those bins full to sit there and say, Joey, you are not like us. <laughs> we will make that clear, but you get a PhD you have done things that are not like what other people are doing, but you've earned a PhD. Like that was really different. And, and, and what was hard was that, that didn't, <laughs> that didn't translate into job offers. What that translated into was like, okay, so now I've got to go and find a job and colleagues that are going to be like, Joey, you're not like us, but we want you here. And we want to create room. And those are some of the cracks that like, I think you were alluding to Valentina when you were talking earlier. It's like, so finding that place, finding that structure. 
and honest to like full disclosure, like opening like the back door of me is that working with people like you all and working with undergrads to me is the future of that because each generation that goes a little further on understanding this, the new generation doesn't have that old guard feel. So some people would be like, why do you work with graduate students so much? You're not even a graduate professor. I'm like, because they're going to be in charge soon. <laughs> I think 10 years from now <laughs> when I'm old and need a job and they're like, that guy knew what he was doing <laughs> like, and he's willing to think outside the box. So like we could still hire this guy and y'all are the heads of the departments. Okay. And, and all the people that like you're thinking you need to like impress that are 10 years older than me, they're all retired at that point. <laughs> you know? so it's like, don't think that there isn't always some kind of reciprocal thing going on, but I just thought I'd share that with y'all. Y'all probably get a kick out of it. And so would our audience in terms of thinking about, you know, why you you, sh- you you should always, people always say you need to respect your elder. I'm like, you need to respect the people under you. Man. You're going to be running the show soon. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, and to your point to forging relationships with the future um, of academia and thinking in terms of, of that future, it's not, it's not only about finding relationships of people that can that can open spaces for the type of work that you do or the way or the things that you want to do. But it's also about educating the people, educating your mentors and educating the people in positions of power. And I think, um, I mean, Joey knows and, 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 and I commend him for it. And I, he knows I'm a huge fan of his work, um, you know, that he's part of a group of a group of a group of, of scholars that have created the cracks and that have made it possible in academia to think about public scholarship, to, to think about open source, to think about which are not necessarily, which shouldn't be called public scholarship, which shouldn't be called public source publishing. It should, ju- it should just be publishing and scholarship. And it shouldn't be a separate thing. Um, but at least, but we have, not at least, I don't like that, but we are stra- moving towards a direction where, because we're always going to operate within a system um, whether oppressive or not, most likely oppressive. Um, so it's, it's, it's those cracks that, that just being true to yourself allow to happen. And then the second thing, and because Joe mentioned mentorship, and I think this is very important, and, and educating your mentors. Um, when I was going through all my situation, I, I was lucky that I had a mentor who waited out. He didn't know how to deal with it. And he waited out, and, he, and we both figured it out and and we were and we were able to get to a place where it works and and I can operate. Um, but with this said, just stay true to yourself. Don't give up on it. Don't succumb to impossible standards. And you will know what an impossible standard is when it starts hurting you. Boundaries, people. So with that. Um, finishing note, I want to thank Anthony, Joey, and Emily for having me. It was a pleasure to see you and listen to you all today and share my thoughts about this well thank you for being a guest we really appreciate it and appreciate the um perspectives that you brought into this conversation because i think we could have had a whole longer conversation on this and and we would love to have you as a guest uh on the resocial hour 
down the line again, um, Valentina, because we love you and you're such an amazing person in our lives and we're very grateful for you. So thank you so much. Um, to my to my co-host, Joey, Emily, thank you all again for everything that you provide to, to the Resocial Hour. It's, it's, it's always great. So on a final note, continue building your relationships with academia and your other relationships in life. And um, until next week, be cool, stay awesome. And this is the Resocial Hour. <laughs>